0: And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz, back here for a new week, August 14th. And it didn't take too long for this week's narrative to develop. Unfortunately, it's not about fixing healthcare in America. It's not about what to do with regard to regime change, which is what we need in North Korea. It's not about fixing our broken system of government. Here we are talking about race and you know, a domestic terror attack in Charlottesville, this time by a white supremacist. And like everything else, we don't address the political issues that we need to address, but we interject politics into something that shouldn't be political. It's not political. Now, I'm going to violate my rule for today in talking about what I think we shouldn't be talking about. But I'm going to talk about it because everyone's asking me, um, you know, I had to I had to lie to some of my friends uh, who asked me to come on radio today and they said, oh, Daniel, could you talk about Charlottesville? And I told them, you know, I have a bunch of meetings today, I can't make it. Because <laughs> I frankly, I didn't want to talk about it. Because what does it mean, talk about Charlottesville? What about it? What about it? You know, there's a problem now that Everyone who thinks they have a platform, you know, everyone has a platform nowadays with social media. They think that there's a need for them, like as if they're, you know, the president, a famous senator, that they have to put out a statement on anything that happens. Could be weather, it could be sports, it could be, you know, domestic violence, could be a tragedy, any tragedy that happens in the country, a murder. It's as if it's political and you you have to put out a statement. You You have to have a hot take on it. And the reality is, certain things just aren't political. You know, if something is a public policy angle, here's what is the role of government, what we should be doing on North Korea, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. Here, you know, bad dudes kill people, kill innocent people. I mean, what do you what do you want me to tell you? I mean, fry the guy. You know, law, <laughs> rule of law. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what to, what public policy angle there is. Um, you know, other than to say that, thankfully, Virginia is one of the states where they, uh, they have the death penalty and use it, you know, as robustly as most as any state really uses it. So yeah, fry the guy. I mean, Terry McAuliffe and the other liberal dirtbags running the state. I mean, they don't support the death penalty. Do they support it now? So what, what is this? So obviously they're trying to make it all political. Well, this is really – here's between the lines that this is some sort of systemic thing like on par with Islamic supremacism and jihad, that there's this global and national network and millions of people that are neo-Nazis and white supremacists that, that aren't just hateful but are going to act on their hate and perpetrate these crimes and, and terror attacks. And Daniel, just like, you know, you speak out against Islamic terror, you need to, you need to, well, I need to what? Speak out? Yeah, I mean, fry the guy, kill the guy. If there's any network that he's a part of, if, if the you know DOJ discovers any systemic, yeah, I mean, use the full extent of the law against it. But the reality is, I think you and I both know, this is not the consummate issue of our time. To be very clear, I'm not saying... There's no uh, equality in terms of the outcome that someone who murders another human being in cold blood innocently is just as repugnant if he does it for Islamic supremacist reasons, white supremacist, black supremacist, environmental terrorism. Whatever your reason is, political cause, crazy cause, but in from a public policy perspective. That, that's the key from a public policy. If you want to know, well, as a as a political person, in terms of system of governance, well, I, what do you want me to do? The difference is jihad is a is a global issue. It's a national issue that, you know, for example, a lot of it is immigration. So that's a public policy. That's something to say, well, we shouldn't allow these people into our country. So, yes, you know, when we have a terror tax of, you know, you know, Muslim refugees and immigrants, like, like, why are we letting these people in the country? Here, I mean, unfortunately, among Americans, you are going to have bad people that do bad things that you can't always catch ahead of time. Um, I mean, you, you look in the news every day and you have stories of, you know, a wife killing a husband over, you know, fighting over a TV show or something. I mean, you have all sorts of things look, you know, it's a problem. It's a it's a breakdown of God in our society, of of the collapse of the civil society. We have a lot of this. But the notion that we're going to focus on this in a vacuum, like, as if, it's funny, all of a sudden, the left becomes animated. All of a sudden, you know, Orrin Hatch and these phony Republicans that are trying a little bit too hard to obsess about this. Um, you know, again, I mean, if you want to talk about mo- most of these shootings, it, our country is so divided, and this is really what I want to get to because I really don't want to talk about this as an ends to itself. I want to talk to the broad pro- broader issue that part of the acrimony could be solved if we had localism, federalism in this country. We have a very deeply divided country, 320 million people, um, just – 325 million or whatever i mean 50 states are just so each state is is as big as the entire federal government you know federal union was at the time of our founding um it, it's mars and venus i mean it's night and day you can't bridge the divide in this country and if we had a true federalist system and i want to discuss that a lot of these problems you'll have a little bit of self-sorting and you'll live in the area be have the self-governance in your area to your liking and then what's national in scope will be limited and we will it won't be as divisive because you know a lot of the things such as national security such as North Korea and transnational tragedies they become politicized because it's like a tinderbox we're so politically charged from everything else but all these like domestic policy issues a lot of it could be solved locally when you just have very different rules and societies um, which is really how it was supposed to be even when the country was much smaller and less diverse, certainly now. But that that's really the public, public policy angle from this I want to discuss. Um, that's what I always look for. But what they're trying to make is, oh, no, there's a public policy angle of white supremacy. Well, what, what do you want from me? I mean, it, it just – you can't – look, it, it only takes a handful of people to wreak havoc in this world. Um, it really does. But, you know, neo-Nazis in this country are really a handful. They really are. Whereas the far left in this country has been violent in, as anything in every major city. Thousands of people. You know, when people like Ben Shapiro, hardly an alt-right, whatever that even means, a you know, white supremacist guy, wants to speak at a college... I mean the violence there is unreal you know so so these people talk about getting rid of the First Amendment but what what their side is doing is not covered by the First Amendment now look when when you have people you know neo-nazis doing their thing and and um it's not just spewing hate it's actually acting upon it well that's not that's not covered by the First Amendment so yeah apply the rule of law equally I mean I'm I'm all for that fry them I mean you know what I mean it's like oh Daniel you have to defend that what, what do you want me to tell you any murderer should be hung within a year, not, not 15 years. We're, we're equal opportunity, true equal justice under the law. That's what we stand for. But you can't tell me the straight face that this is on par with millions of Islamic supremacists, that this is on par with the problem, again, not the um, morality of murdering someone in the name of anything is just as equal. I'm talking about the pervasiveness of the problem. Um, you know, I live in Maryland. As you know, I, I've lived in the Baltimore area my entire life. And and I'm I'm Jewish, so I, I certainly have no desire to, uh, you know, think, oh, you know, there's no problem. Neo-Nazis are, are lovely. We don't have to worry about these people. But the reality is I've never seen any before. I've never come across them. You know, maybe they, more, more of them elsewhere in the state of Maryland. But what you do have is on the other side. You have black supremacists. You have these black violent groups um, that in the name of black political activism – Um, you know, people forget. It's funny, Al Sharpton is being used as a cable talking head to analyze and discuss the situation when he actually, his actions directly led to the murder of a Jew in Crown Heights, New York. Um, People seem to forget about that. You know, that is a much more pervasive thing and it's excused. That is excused. That is excused. And those very same forces are at, at play here. Now, it happened to be that one guy on the so-called right, if that's what you want to call it, actually took a vehicle and rammed into people, so it resulted in a fatality. But on the other side of the ledger, you know, again, that one person died, 20 injured, but no, nobody has yet died, I believe, in the, the six, seven months of the you know anti-Trump activism throughout the country. But, dude, it's pretty darn close and it would shock me if there are no fatalities eventually. I mean, you know, again, you want to talk about a public policy issue, um, these people were wearing hoods, you know, masked faces in their protests, which is a violation of Virginia state law. McAuliffe did not enforce that against them. That is not covered by, you know, there are certain limitations that are violent. And um, so that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's pictures of them with flamethrowers. So it's, This all gets back to this is what Trump meant when they said, well, you know, we condemn it on all sides. No, you should have called out white supremacism. Look, politically, he probably should. I wish he would have done it just to take this issue off the table. And because because the small element and it is much smaller than any other other problem in this country, whether it's Islamic terrorism, whether it's um, extreme left wing, black lives, activist type um, Antifa, you know, at the end of the day, whatever that element is, it has been dormant for for a very long time. Thank God it's been dormant. And, you know, it has resurfaced. Again, it's exaggerated. Its numbers are exaggerated because the media makes it out to be on par with global g- jihad. So they're stupidly elevating them. Again, I'm not. I don't want to be one of these, like, blame the victim things, like, oh, no, just ignore evil. Like, no. But you do have to realize sometimes it grows big enough you have to confront it. Sometimes your obsessiveness about it. I mean, I never heard of the alt right until last year. Um and I'm in this business. I'm in politics and you know, the media just obsesses about it. Well, yeah, I mean, you give them a platform then. Um so I, I do think yeah, I wish he would have done it, but I'm, am I going to savage him? Look, I have a lot to criticize Trump about. I just beat up on him talk about immigration. Um he's not, you know, there's no constitutional duty to you know, call out a white supremacist group by name in a tweet, but there is a constitutional duty not to grant amnesty executively, and he keeps doing that. I mentioned it last week. I have that article up. I'll put it in the show notes. I mean, that's more important. That is a public policy thing. That's something I can advocate for. You know, if I could snap my finger and end all white supremacism and all black supremacism and all his line all hate, I I do I you know I I would do it. But I'm, I'm not sure what you want me to do. Um, the difference between this and other things is that there is a public policy thing to do in other cases. Immigration is a problem, not just on the Islamic thing. You know, it's funny. This is in my article on immigration, on, on the Dream Amnesty, how all these so-called dreamers are committing crimes, violent crimes. And one of them, who was given a renewal by the Trump administration – um, after he got his renewal, he raped a woman in a young woman in Seattle and just brutalized her, um, just broken nose, broken jaw, broke teeth, knocked out. And I mean, so if if the right in the country had control of the media, this would be on par with, you know, again, she wasn't killed. This is pretty bad news. This is as close to killing someone as you can get, raping and torturing them um, with like heavy metal hitting them with it i've heard hitting her with it you could read the story there linked in my article from fox news but um yeah i mean this would be on almost on par national news and and we'd go around asking every democrat do you condemn this well i mean yeah of course i mean like that's not the point see there there's a public policy thing we have a country of a lot of brutality in it and there's a limit to what you can do But when immigrants commit it, it's not that it's worse when – again, I want to be very clear. There's a difference between the morality of it. It's not more immoral if an illegal alien does that to a woman than an American citizen does it. It's just that that is – unfortunately, that's the only thing that's preventable because you shouldn't allow them in your country. Whereas here, you know, there's a limit to what we can do to monitor everyone before they actually commit the crime other than once they do commit the crime – you know, obviously, come down on them with the full force of law and apply it equally. Um, and you know, I believe you should fry all these people. And uh, you know, again, if if you suspect any broader network, I have no problem investigating it. But it, it, I, I'm not sure what we want from Trump. I'm not talking about politically. Politically again, per- perception becomes reality. I wish he would have done it. I wish he would have, you know, been a little stronger. But he is right that I mean in sheer numbers. It's just you mentioned the word neo-nazi and it was like, oh my god, like that that invokes such, you know, horrible imagery. Um and, and and it is horrible, but how many of them are there? How many Nazi flags are there? Contrast to the thousands of these violent leftists running around Berkeley, and ever, that is a very big problem. So Trump feels like you know, wh- what am I supposed to do? Just you know, now again he's out of luck because this is the the first case where someone's actually killed was at the hands of one of these dudes. So everyone's going to make it about white supremacism about that. But in in pervasiveness, it's it's just it's 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 really on the other side. Now I wish we could you know again we need to clamp down on this, and I, I would hope that there's none of it on this side. Anyone who acts in the name of uh, of Trump or, or or whatever else, but but again, I mean, we just had a shooting where Scalise was almost assassinated. That actually was a tragedy that was very political. I mean, you want to you want to talk about all these shootings, you know, the mental illness we have in this country, the school shootings, this, and everyone wants to make everything political, but that was really political. The guy you know volunteered for Bernie Sanders' campaign, and he asked. Where is the Republican players' practice? And he, you know, shot at them because they're Republicans. And that was a political. That was that was domestic terrorism. The, did the Justice Department uh, investigate that? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I I just feel no need to to. There, there's no policy angle. Again, the left is trying to create a phony policy angle, basically say we all have to be a bunch of leftists now because look, otherwise you're empowering impair- the white supremacists. But the reality is they are the ones who are fueling this. Now, it doesn't make the neo-Nazi groups correct in what they're doing, but what 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 um what the left is doing is fueling them. And what I mean is so what I'll tell you the policy angle they're going to say, and this is mainly on a local level, they're going to say, this is why these Confederate memorials are a flashpoint, and you see it causes death. But, I mean, the reality is it's circular logic because they've been around for 150 years and no one on either side has ever had a problem. I mean, it's not like you had, like, Nazi gatherings at every, you know, Robert E. Lee thing, you know, and you, you don't just have them in the South, you have them in the North, too. Um... No, it's once you say, let's rip out every vestige of Robert E. Lee and start disinterring graves, then yeah, I mean, you're going to take people off and not just neo-Nazis, you're going to take ma- mainstream people off, but people like that are going to go ahead and do bad things in response. But, I mean, the best thing is to leave it alone. I mean, again, I'm I'm not a, one of these, the South will rise again. I'm not a Southerner. I'm from from Maryland. My wife is a Southerner. But what do you you want me to do? History is history. It's not this effort to suddenly rip down any vestige of this is coming from a very bad place. It's not coming from a good place. Now, I'm not going to sit up there and defend it left and right and make a big deal of it. I'm going to move on to other issues. But the problem is these are the people, they won't let it go. They won't let it go, and you know the reality is particularly Robert E. Lee was a good person. You know a lot of a lot of people view it's a lot of Americans that are very into the Civil War. Now I have fond memories, uh, you know, living in Maryland. You're close to Virginia, and I have fond memories with my father back in the early '90s. It was uh, It was just, it was a fad. Everyone was very into these Civil War reenactments and, you know, we used to go as a family. I remember it being brutally hot in the summer and it was just really patriotic Americans. It wasn't, I've ne- I never once saw, um, you know, I would often walk around openly as a Jew. So, you know, again, if you had these type of, you know what I mean, like neo-Nazi guys there, I would have, believe me, I would have found out about it and um, I never did because they weren't there. We're just really just patriotic, good people that just loved history, loved America. And particularly with the Civil War, there was a fascination with it because what Robert E. Lee represents to most Americans and particularly Americans that are kind of have a nostalgia, not for the Confederacy or the South shall rise again, but a nostalgia for that part of history is the reconciliation. Lee and Grant coming together at Appomattox that that. We 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 sewed the country back together, and you know certain things took a while, but that was the beauty of it. You know, we we had slavery, and then we had, you know, after slavery was gotten rid of, but we still didn't have true equality of unalienable rights in this country. But then we reached a period after the '60s, you know, where we reached a good equilibrium, and and then just the last two decades, you with the rise of the alt left, there's obsession with race. You know, to, to, to start with reverse discrimination now, um, A, it's wrong in its own right, but B, I've always warned, you're going to stoke those elements that were, thank God they were dormant, now you're going to stoke them. So now you got both sides are r- raced up. Great, thanks. But that, that that's not what this was about. It was about something, there was something beautiful about it. That's what, you know, where you saw the reenactments, they would embrace at the end. um, Just really good people went to it. And um that's what i'm saying i mean i, I have no the confederacy is a confederacy whatever it's, it's 160 years old it doesn't affect anything now but really we're just gonna go down and rip down stonewall jackson and robert e lee i mean robert e lee was a greater human being than terry mcauliffe and any of these leftist hacks it just makes it makes no sense you know my, my wife um she grew up just a couple blocks away from Monument Avenue in Richmond, which is now going to be a flashpoint, has all these monuments. And she was really saddened by it. And no, my wife is not a Confederate flag-waving person, not at all. But it's just like, really? I mean, this is what you're going to do? It's just such a such a disrespect. Um, You know, I remember emailing Ted Cruz's campaign guys during when this – you know, blew up in South Carolina with the Confederate flag thing during the primary. I, I, I sent an email in all caps, stay the hell away from this issue. You know, because the other Republicans were like tripping over themselves, trying a little bit too hard. How? Oh, we got to get rid of it. Yeah, right. Like, really? What, what does that have to do with anything now? See, they're the ones making this a racial issue. The reality is, the reality is, you can't view history through the lens of, of modern era. Um, I, I could scramble up quotes from from uh, Abraham Lincoln and ask you, who said this, David Duke or Abraham Lincoln? Because Lincoln believed slavery is an abomination, although he wasn't initially committed to getting rid of it at all costs. But he believed blacks couldn't be integrated into the public. I mean, it was pretty hardcore stuff, he said. I mean, the quotes that I've seen from him are more hardcore than anything I've ever found from Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was not about any of this. You know, he was kind of conflicted. Even, you know, there was a thought that the North might even get him for their side. He ultimately went with the state of Virginia. Who is, you know, And no, I'm not saying everyone in the South was all about states and, you know, wasn't about slavery. It certainly was about slavery, but not for people like Robert E. Lee. Not for him. And again, his greater act was after the war. Even people like Nathan Bedford Forrest, who's regarded as the worst of the worst, you know, with the, starting the KKK, um, by all accounts, and I have, I wrote an article on this a long time ago, um, he reconciled and repented at the end of his life. He embraced um, a black individual. He gave a speech on it one time. And people forget that. Woodrow Wilson, who came much later, and Robert Byrd never asked forgiveness for what they did. They, they never changed their mind. Certainly Wilson. Their, their racist mentality. You, you know what I'm saying. So, are we going to go back and 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 sometimes just just leave it alone, just leave it alone. You know, let me give you an example. <sighs> Henry Ford, celebrated American figure, he had some pretty you know kind of pro Nazi sympathies. I mean, that's that's well known. <laughs> Um, I- am I going to go around the country and 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 try to just retroactively make a, make a fool of myself and start yelping about eradicating anything with his name on it? It, it you have to use your common sense. At some point, you're creating more pain and, and uh, notoriety to to drawing more negative attention by focusing on it than just letting it go. And that's the problem. It's not It's not like suddenly there was this resurgence in America of like, let's go and erect new Confederate monuments or let us obsessed about the Confederacy. It all came from the other side to rip it down. Now again, there are some dark figures in in this country on all sides and they're going to come out of the woodworks and, and start using that as as their flashpoint for their, their garbage. But it doesn't mean that anyone who feels a little bit kind of uncomfortable with the notion of just disinterring g- graves of you know, so many people, and 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 included in them, not all of them, including some great people like Robert E. Lee. I mean, really. So that's the only public policy thing, you know, if you want to make this about, you know, in, in my hometown, um, Baltimore County, the Baltimore County executive, a jerk, um, who turned it into a sanctuary county for illegal aliens that are that are violent, went ahead and renamed. Robert E. Lee Park. We have. I mean, really, nobody ever had a problem. Nobody, nobody. And this is Baltimore. Borders Baltimore City, City Baltimore County. It's not a conservative area. It's certainly not in the South. Um, and no, no one had a problem with it. So this is the backdrop of the context going on. So you want Trump to get up there and say, "White supremacists, we gonna, yeah." I mean, it's true. We, yeah, we should drive them out of here. Which, which, by the way, I always tell people, you know, I, when, when we talk about Islamic supremacism and immigration, I always ask people: Should we allow white supremacists into this country as immigrants? Like, if we if we know that someone's a big white supremacist, or if we know that there's a certain area that maybe not everyone, but there's a very strong proclivity towards white supremacism, should we have immigration from there? The answer unanimously should be absolutely no, no. This is what people don't understand. There's a difference between immigration now, but do you have the right to be a white supremacist in this country? Yes, just like you have the white r- right to be an Islamic supremacist. Um, now you can't act on either of them, but to harbor those views, uh, yeah, I mean that's uh but 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 you know it's it's equal, but you don't you don't bring it into your country. But again, that's not the problem we have. The problem we have is bringing in Islamic supremacism. That's just the problem. you got to focus on where the problem is. So this is all a contrived issue. But the real answer to all of this is localism. Part of the problem we have in this country now, and I'm going to tie this into some of my other writings on what I'm talking about North Korea. Why do we have no resolve in this country, no united front to deal with North Korea? The problem is, out of a hundred things that the federal government does, the three or so things that these are supposed to do, suddenly we have no money, resources, political resolve, or unity to deal with them at a federal level because we waste our time dealing with nonsense. We're so divided because we have such a divided country and our, the pyramid of governance is flipped on its head that everything is dealt with at a federal level. And because we have such a deeply divided country, it creates such mass acrimony at a magnified level. So if you had everything at a local level, you'll have some sort of self- sorting after a while. Look, this area is Berkeley, California. you know, a certain type will be there. you know, everyone else will kind of move out. and um, but the problem is, and you have it to a certain extent, but the problem is everything's at a federal level. What is our governing structure? What type of government were we supposed to be? What is the what is a Federalist republic? What are we striving for, and why do I support my buddies at the Federalist Party, who want to give this message not just to be a base for a conserv, you know, a party, a home for the conservative base, but that could also appeal to a broad sense of people, and how to solve this divide in the country, or at least, again, you don't solve a problem like this, but to mitigate the problem is 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 uh, to to re- put the pyramid on its head. You know, if you picture a pyramid, the bottom. The fat layer of the pyramid on the bottom should be family. The individual family, then community, then county, then state, and finally the top little smallest part is the federal government. If we had that, then everything, then the few things would be easier to deal with on a federal level, and we'd actually have more, more unity. James Madison in Federalist Forty Five. You know, in one paragraph, he gave the best description of what government should be. And he said the following. The powers delegated by the proposed constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain to the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former, meaning the federal, will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce with which the last power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. Right? That's there's, there's a lot of profundity, actually, in that line. It wasn't supposed to get involved in healthcare and interstate stuff. It was mainly, mainly, any part that it was, was really to bolster the foreign commerce end. Anyway, let me continue. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. That's pretty much everything. The operations of the federal government, on the other hand, will be most extensive and important at times of war and danger. Those of the state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, meaning time of war, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage of the federal government. The more now look at this powerful line. The more adequate indeed the federal powers may be rendered on the national defense, the less frequent frequent will be those scenes of danger which might favor their ascendancy over the governments of the particular states. There's more. Let me just stop there. That is so profound. Our system is flipped on its head. What the few things the federal government should be doing missile defense and protecting us from North Korea and Iran. And our borders from bringing in undesirables. No, they, 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 they don't do. They have sanctuary cities. But then everything else, that's the property, lives, liberties, internal order, they get involved in. And the I really believe if you actually had a federalist system where, as it relates to welfare and programs and entitlements and healthcare and, you know, All this stuff and the social issues and the cultural issues, where you want Confederate memorabilia, whatever it is, if that would be confined to localism, if we truly had a government like that, that the local government, communities, you know, civil society would take care of as much of as we talked about this a lot with insurance, with healthcare, really health sharing associations, health sharing ministries. That's a beautiful example of how to solve one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest domestic policy issue, really on a, on a communal level without even local government. But, you know, you have the pyramid properly situated. Yes, you'll have divisiveness in the country, but you'll have a little bit of self-sorting. More people will be happy. And then at the end of the day, we'll still be united under the stars and the stripes. We'll still be united under the same flag. And then there will be more resolve and more unity to deal with things like North Korea. See, right now, because of that 90 percent of other domestic policy issues, which are so politicized and so polarized. So even the remaining 10 percent, everything is politicized now. Tragedies, shootings, you know, Korea attacking us. You know, that that was a perfect time for. um Us to stand behind the president, whoever it is, if it's a Republican, if it's a Democrat, to say, look, I don't care who you are, Mr. President. Take it to them. Make it clear we will not accept an attack on our soil. Shouldn't be political, but it is political because everything is political. If you decentralize this, I do believe that at least as it relates to things like Iran and North Korea securing our borders, it will become – I mean, it's just much less charged. You know, right now, North, North Korea shouldn't naturally be political, but you toss that into an inferno of the broader political disputes, and yeah, it's a big problem. And it gets politicized, and you have the battle lines drawn on every single issue, every single event. Weather becomes politicized. Sports becomes politicized. Everything's politicized. We need to devolve our, our system to localism. Doesn't It mean, doesn't mean only local and state governments there's a couple of things the federal government has to do very well but this is the problem part of the reason we can't do it well is because we exhaust again both our political resolve to solve the problems and also just the capital the 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 physical money we pissed away our money on on lining the pockets of um the insurance cartel to create dependency in this country in healthcare that we have no more money left because we spent 1.6 Trillion as a society on it, well, as a society, we spend $3.2 trillion, but on a governmental level, $1.6 trillion. So yeah, I mean, now we don't have enough money for missile defense, which is the one thing that only the federal government can do and, and has an obligation to do to protect the whole of the union given the nature of the threats we face now. This is, this is where we need to head. This is why it's so important you look at the just it's going to tear it and it's going to be a vicious cycle because now the left's going to respond with more affirmative action more anti-white stuff and let's just call a spade a spade and therefore it's going to then further rejuvenate these these white supremacist assholes and they're going to do their thing and it, it just it's a race to the bottom it's a race to the bottom and this is why i've always told you our our mission here was to get out of the binary You're this or that. It's to take our destiny in our own hands and express affirmatively what we do believe in, what, what do we want to do? And I believe if we accomplish that, I, I, I don't, I'm not painting a utopian vision here, but I do think the schisms in this country would be far less consequential and less, less, there'd be less paralysis and polarization than you have now just because it won't matter as much. I mean, you'll, each person will be able to have their haven with their system of governance that they like. This is self-governance. And, and, and we need this. I mean, people forget. Our founders, you, you, you know, you, you hear the Madison quote I, uh, I read. Even back then when the country was tiny, tiny country, they still felt a need to have localism. You could imagine now with 325 million people you know, and again, it was pretty homogenous, too, back then. I mean, now it's obviously very very diverse, very different. I mean, just to give you a sense, the illegal alien population of Arizona, okay? Not California. That's something like 4 or 5 million, including the Anger Babies. Legal alien population of Arizona is 630,700. 630,000, let's call it. That is larger than the size of the biggest colony, at the time of our founding, at the time the Constitution was adopted. Okay, the illegal alien population of the state of Arizona is larger than the largest colony was, okay? Now, A, that gives you a sense of just the stolen sovereignty, the immigration problem we have, but that's a separate point, not for today. But just to, to demonstrate just our country is so large, a state is like what, a, what, what the country was. Uh, so, I mean, you, you need this localism and i think we'll be at each other's throats less a because more money will be spent on what people want it to be spent in their respective areas b the touchy issues will be dealt with more in a decentralized way that's more appropriate and tailor-made to the nature of the people there it will encourage the self-sorting that sadly we we need in this country from you know in a peaceful way you know I, I, again i don't mean like directly a two-state solution type of thing, you know, where it's politically like that. But, you know, naturally, I mean, you have that to a certain extent now anyway, but I think it unfortunately needs to be more, um, but encouraged more, you know, instead of a violent way through just localism. And then also because, again, you look back to the number of issues that have become political that shouldn't be political, need not be political. It's not about abortion or guns or, stuff like that. It's stuff we should all agree to, but we don't anymore. We can't agree on anything. You know, if, if one, if the Republican president says he loves puffs, then everyone else will say, I love Kleenex. You know, I mean, if this guy's for the White Sox, I'm for the Red Sox. I mean, that's how polarized we are now. But I think if we expended more of our, uh, you know, contentious issues in a way that will not be as destructive on a local level, I think the few remaining national security, security oriented issues on a federal level will, you know, will have a lot more unity behind them and appreciate it a lot more. And then, you know, ultimately again, we need to return to God. I mean, that's really what it is. We have a broken civil society. We have violence throughout this country um, on all, on all ends. And that's, that's got to change. But the notion that I'm going to sit here and join some of these other sanctimonious conservative publications and, and Republicans and, and sit and talk about how white supremacism in a vacuum is the biggest public policy issue we can deal with now, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to fall for that. I'm sorry. I mean, could go, go elsewhere for that. Anyway, we're about out of time. Support our buddies, Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithcr.com. Order your 140 meals. For just 99 bucks. I'm telling you, when civil order breaks down in this country, you will need it. You will want it. Be prepared. Also subscribe to CRTV with ah, CRTV, sorry about that. With promo code Horowitz. God bless y'all. Let's pray for peace. Pray for reconciliation. Just like Grant and Lee did at the end of the Civil War. Yes, there is good lesson. There are some good lessons to learn from the Civil War. Until next time. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.